Good morning. How are we? Good, 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 good. Uh, hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. Am I? Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the things that we do every uh, every time, every Sunday, basically, is give away a great Christian book. And um, one of the things that's been really encouraging is uh, a lot of you guys who have been taking the books come back to me a couple of weeks later and go, I read this. It was fantastic. I learned all this kind of stuff. And uh, so that, that's great. Uh, we've got a small book, only 50 pages, um, but it's called Anxiety and Me, Brief Biblical Thoughts to Help Anxious Believers by Guan Un. Now, this is a 50 pages and I'm not generally an anxious person, but I, when I read this book, I actually got a bunch from it. So maybe you're someone who's more of an anxious person, or maybe you're going, well, Hans, I'm not much of a reader, but 50 pages, I can do that. that that's fine. So you want to get this. This is free for anyone who comes up and grabs it. I've got one copy, that's all. Yeah, first in best dress. The other thing... Um, Guan Un doesn't come to this church, but his brother and his parents do. So you could take it and get them to sign it and then sell it on eBay or something like that. So so you want to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray as we look at this passage. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, we pray that as we look at this passage, it just kind of seems mundane on the surface, that you would speak to us and you would help us to, to so be the church that cares for people very well, but also sees a flood of people come to know you. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you have discouraging conversations at church. It happens to me sometimes. It happens to most of us. I remember a, a fairly discouraging conversation after a, uh, after a um, members meeting, right? And uh, this guy came. He's a member of our church. He's a dearly loved member of this church. And uh, this was the members' meeting when we talked about putting uh, an associate pastor on. And um, he asked me after the service, he said, Hans, you know, what is, what is this pastor going to do? And I said, well, he'll probably uh, run Bible studies and a bunch of things like that and kind of lead that and train up leaders so there's more Bible study leaders, more Bible studies, and, and he'll run a bunch of evangelistic stuff and mission stuff so we're really on fire about Jesus and we want to see you know, a flood of people come to know Jesus. And he goes, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. He said, this church is getting too big and it's too corporate and, you know, all this stuff about leaders and training people, I just don't like it. It's too big. And I said, brother, what, what, is, the, what you know, is the number of people should we cap the church at if it's too big? He said, 100 people. And I said, well, last Sunday we had 105. So what, what do we do? He goes, oh, we, we just stop. We just stop what we're doing and we just be a church for us and, you know, great fellowship and all this kind of stuff. And I asked him to tell me the story about how he came to church and what was his life like before he came to church. He, he told me about his life and then he came, he told me about rocking up here one day and how he's welcomed and loved and, and how people cared for him. And people just did an amazing job of sharing the gospel with him, caring for him and loving, for, loving him. And then I said, hey, mate, imagine if we took your advice and we capped the numbers here at 100. And then what we did is we said to you, just say you rocked up now and we capped the numbers at 100 and we said to you, sorry, we're full, you can't come in. What would have happened to you? 
And he said, well, I wouldn't be a Christian today. And I thought I had won the argument. And I said, so see, can you see how we need to do what we're doing? He goes, nah. I just think the numbers should be where they're at. One of the beautiful things about our church is there's this, just this sense of fellowship. So many of us have known each other for many years, if not decades. And yet, we want that. We want a church to be a thick, beautiful, rich community, don't we? And yet, on the other hand, we want to see a flood of people become Christians. We want to see uh, our area one for the Lord Jesus, because we don't want to see our area and the people in it go to hell for eternity. And yet, how do you have both? How do you organize and structure a church of, last week it was 92. How do you structure and organize a church of 92 so people are cared for, people grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus, people, uh, you know, people are one for Jesus, evangelism happens, but then how do you structure a church of 125 to reach people, to love people, to care people, for people and grow people? How do you structure a church of 250 to achieve all those goals and 400 and so on and so forth? You, you, you see, if we want to see a flood of people become Christians, we're going to have to think through that as a church. This year, one of the great things about this year is that we have seen... 10 adults become part of our church and say, this is our church we're staying. And not to mention their kids who have come. And that's an amazing thing, right? But what happens in the next six months if we have another 10? I pray that it does. How do we care for everyone? See, one, one of the things is that we've got to organise as a church to keep reaching people and to keep loving people, to keep caring for the people that we've got and growing them, and yet keep reaching more and more people. And so what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for our expectations as individuals? And what does that mean for you and your serving? If we want to reach so many more people, our church is going to change. And I bring this up because this is actually where our church is at. Our church is growing, but this is also where our passage is at. I wonder if you saw the amazing numbers of people came to know Jesus as we read the first couple of chapters of Acts. After Pentecost, 3,000. Can you imagine? A group of about 120 disciples and then 3,000 people become Christians all in one day. Can you imagine our church? If 3,000 people became Christians... What an amazing thing that will be. But how are we going to organize our church to love and care for all of them? See, we're, we're going to see what the, what the dis, early, early disciples did. But we're also going to kind of think through this on a, kind of a meta-biblical level. We're going to look at some other passages too. And we're going to see three things as we look at this passage and we think through this. We're going to see the problem with growth, the solution to the problem, and the result of the solution. The problem with growth the solution to the problem and the result of the solution. Let's have a look at the problem with growth. Have a look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, did you see how they're growing? They are growing. And as I said, Pentecost is a day where 3,000 people become Christians. You can look up Acts 2, verse 41 and 47, where it talks about so many people becoming Christians. And we see, once again, more and more people are becoming Christians. That's exactly what we want. But did you see the problem with growth? The problem is there's a bunch of widows. And the biblical thing is to care for widows. Back in that day, they didn't have Centrelink or anything. And so it was a responsibility of the church to care for these widows. And yet there's some widows that aren't being cared for. The, the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews were probably people who had just become Christians. And, and so there is this split. Growth has happened and yet people aren't being cared for. And so what do you do? Well, let's have a look at the second point, the solution to the problem. Have a look at verse 2 with me. So the 12, and that is the 12 disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, notice what, what they don't do. They don't go, well, we've got a problem. We'll just kind of move on. It'll sort itself out. There's an issue here and there's tension here, but if we kind of ignore it, it will go away. I bring that up because I think that's how we deal with problems in church a lot of the time. I wonder if you've been at a church where, which says, okay, there's a problem over here, but if we ignore it, it'll be okay. When I was a youth minister, I, I had a boss who, was just, who hated conflict. I'm really wary of anyone who likes conflict, anyone who says, I like conflict. I think you're really just weird and you shouldn't be in ministry at all. But this guy said, he, he, it was obvious that he hated conflict. And he said to me, I, I said, well, you know, something happened at a youth group camp that I felt like I needed to speak into. I needed to speak to both parents and children. And I went to him for wisdom. He had been in ministry 20 years longer than I had. And I said, what, what, what should I do? And he said, hands, don't do anything. And I said, but, but this, is, this is tension. There, there, there's a problem here. And he said, in, in a church, you avoid conflict because it usually goes away. You only deal with conflict if it blows up. Anyone been in a church like that? How do you think that church went? The funny thing, every Sunday, there was this simmering tension because nothing got dealt with. But that's not what the apostles do. They see a problem. They convene a meeting and they deal with it straight away. But do you see what they're not going to do? Have a look at verse, verse 2 again. So the 12 gathered all the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They are preaching. That is their gig. That's what they should be doing. They are preaching and praying and leading the church. And so they're not going to give that up to merely wait on tables to, to serve food to these people. Now, they're not saying the care of these widows is unimportant. They're just saying their job is far too important to give that up. They are not going to do everything, but they are going to do the main thing, the most important thing, which is the ministry of the word and prayer. And so what do they do? 
have a look, verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And notice in verses 5 to 6, that's what they do. They, they um, choose a bunch of guys and the names are people from all around the world, from what we can see, to lead the church in this area. See, what we see here is that they have created structures in the church so people are cared for. There's two different groups of leadership here. There's the, the apostles who are given to the ministry of the word and prayer and then there's a bunch of people who are there caring for people. That is what they're doing. They are caring for these widows so that they are fed well. Now, now, when we think about our church, what that means is if we create structures and systems in the church, that means more people are serving. That means more people are doing the work and more people are impacted with the gospel. I was at a, a conference just in the last week and a friend of mine has been at a church for five years. And I said, tell me about your job. We were kind of comparing notes because he looked exhausted. And he said, I preach two different sermons every week. I lead every service. I lead two Bible studies. And I, I visit, I, I'm told that I should visit 10 people a week. And I do that. And I said, how, how much evangelism is being done? And he said, none. In the, in the time that he's been there, not one person has become a Christian. And, he, and I said, so who does all the rostering? He says, me. I said, who does the music? He goes, oh, it's me and my wife. And I, I had to say to him, brother, I've heard you sing. That's not a good thing, right? You know. And, and here is a brother who is exhausted because he, he is not leading his church well. He is trying to do everything. He is trying to do everything and no evangelism is being done. When I first came here, it was very interesting to hear many of your expectations. I remember sitting down with one lady and she said, so Hans, what you're going to do is you're going to lead every service and you're going to pray at every service because that's what pastors do. And I said, actually, sorry, no, I'm not. I'm not. My job is to be the person who preaches, who leads the church. I'm a minister of the word and prayer. And you have got great people to lead services. They've been doing a great job. That's fine. So that's, so that's what's happening. And there, there have been people who have come to me and said, hey, you should actually go and visit these people. And I said, why? And they said, oh, it's because that's what pastors do. I said, what's their great need? And they said, oh, no, they would just like a visit. And I said, I'm glad that they would like to hang out with me. That boosts my ego. But actually, my job, as the Bible says, is to be a minister of the word and prayer. And so that's what I'm going to devote my life to. Now, now can I be very, very clear if you are struggling with something, I've got all the time in the world for you. In fact, yesterday, I spent an hour and a half in a pastoral meeting. It was a very intense pastoral meeting, but there was no place I would rather be than in that meeting. This week, I've got three pastoral meetings. But the thing is, what we've got to do in a church is to realize what the Bible says about being a pastor and what it doesn't. And it also means that 
our job is probably broader and narrower than what we most, a lot of us think. That is, Tim, Tim and my job is to be a ministry of the word and prayer, but also to build structures, develop leaders and organize the church so we would see a flood of people become Christians. And you see that and you're probably going, well, well hands that sounds like corporate speak and blah, 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 blah. I, I get that. But actually, if you have a look at the Bible, that, that's what happens. Flip in your Bibles, if you've got them, back to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18 with me. Very quickly, what's happening in Exodus 18. And unfortunately, Exodus has been stolen from my Bible. I'm not sure if you ever do that where flip over your Bible and it's been stolen. No, I've got it here. Exodus 18. Exodus 18. So Jethro, um, which is a great name for a band, isn't it? Jethro Tull. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Jethro... Um, Moses' father-in-law visits him and Moses is exhausted because he's dealing with all the problems in Israel. And at this point, Israel is tens of thousands of people, right? And so can you imagine all the problems in tens of thousands of people? And Jethro says, what you're doing is no good. And so what does he And says, you've got to work out how to give power and authority to other people so that they would judge through these issues and you can deal with the big, big problems. And so in verse 24, have a look, have, have a look at it, of, of Exodus 18. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Can you imagine a son-in-law doing everything the father-in-law says? That must be one wise father-in-law. Don't worry, I love my father-in-law. I do everything he says too. I just want to say that. But verse 25, he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. And can you see the structure there? There's one man who, uh, I, I, I gather this is how they did it. One man over, over a thousand people. Then 20 uh, officials or 10 officials over a hundred who lead 20 officials over 50 and so on and so forth. There's a clear and definite structure here. Why? So that people are cared for and they can worship God. Even if you go to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. But what does he do? He is only one man and he gets his disciples involved in the ministry so to reach more people. See, as, as important as so many of the things that we've come to expect from pastors is, there's a lot of other things that we need to do as pastors. Here's what Don Carson, a New Testament scholar, says this. As important and central as the ministry of the Word of God is, the thoughtful pastor, elder, overseer will devote time and energy to casting a vision, figuring out the steps for getting there, building the teams and structures needed for discharging the ministry and training others, building others up, thinking through the various ways in which the gospel can be taught at multiple levels to multiple groups within the church, how to extend faithful evangelism and church planting, how to engage the surrounding world as faithful believers and much more. Can, can, can you see what the job is. That Tim and my job is not just to come and make sure that Sunday is great. Although we want Sunday to be great. Our job is to train you guys up to care and love each other. 
care for and love each other. And at the end of last year, a lady came up to me and she, she said she's just um, been going back to her growth group at church. And uh, this is a lady that I had met with in a pastoral situation a few times. And I asked her how her growth group was doing. And she goes, Hans, you know, the, the, the ladies in my growth group, they do such a good job of caring for me. I don't need to come and see you anymore. And I said, are you saying they do a better job than me at partially caring for you? And she thought about it and she, go, and she went a bit red. And she said, yes, I guess I am. And I cheered for that because that is you guys, the church, doing its job, caring and loving one another. Now, the other thing that we should see is this, just to labour this point. If we have a look at the Bible, there are two clear divisions of leaders. You see that in 1 Timothy 3. You see elders who are men of the word and prayer, and you see deacons and deaconesses who, who can lead ministries and do that kind of thing. But they're more of what we see these men doing in Acts chapter 6. There are these two structures. And where, as, as a church, can I just say, when I got this job, I said, well, I will be leading us towards that division to have elders and to have deacons. Right now, we've got a leadership team, and the leadership team is kind of halfway between. We do some eldership issues, we do some deacon work and that kind of thing. But we're working towards that. Now, how long will that take? I'm not sure. But that's what we're working towards because it is a biblical thing. But did you see, once again, who these people, who these leaders are meant to be? Have a look at verse 3 again. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. That is, we're meant to be discerning about the, about the, the leaders we choose. I remember as a 16-year-old going to my first AGM. And I'd never been to an AGM before and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. And, and what happened was, I was in an Anglican church, so we were voting people on for parish council. They needed eight. And they only had six people go for it. And so they got automatically in. There was no questions asked. And then the, the minister got up and said, oh, we need eight. I don't know why, he, why we needed eight, but he said we needed eight. And then what people started doing is turning to each other and going, hey, you should have a go at this. Have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about doing this? And I remember as, as quite an arrogant teenager, 16-year-old, because there's no arrogant teenagers out there, and I was, I was the only one, I put up my hand and I opened up 1 Timothy 3 and I said, wait up, can I just read out a passage of scripture? And I read it out and I said, these, these leaders are meant to be this, they have these qualifications. Uh, are you sure when you're, when you're saying these people should be... Um, you know, should jump up. Are you sure of that? And uh, people are like, I don't know. I said, therefore, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. We, and I remember saying, we are deeply in sin. And people laughed and that kind of thing, which I thought that was a bit over the top now that I look back on it. But it was interesting that we didn't think that. And when I talk to people who come to me and say, I'm thinking this person should be on the leadership team. I said, tell me why. Do they have godly qualities? And a lot of people have said, no, I didn't think of that. I just thought they could represent our group. 
But do you see how leadership in the Bible is not about representing a group. It is about leading the church to be the church that God wants it to be. With these kind of qualities. What are these two things? They're full of wisdom. That is, they can deal with things well. They've got a certain wisdom about them. And the second thing is they are full of the Spirit. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that full of the Spirit means that you're banging on about Jesus all the time. That Jesus is at the center of your life and you can see that in every area of your life. And so, you know, later on this year we're going to come and we're going to think about putting on people on the leadership team. And you need to ask questions. Are, are these people wise? Or, or when, you were, when you have seen them or when you've tried to work with them, are they really frustrating to work with? Now, are they full of the Spirit? Are they, do they talk about Jesus all the time? Are they in line with where we're going as a church? Are they godly? Can you see Godliness, read through 1 Timothy 3 and ask, does that, can I see them actually living out 1 Timothy 3? Don't just go, oh, there's a spot, we'll just get anyone. Because leadership is so important. And isn't it interesting, we've seen this weekend how leadership is so important. And I'm not sure that ScoMo lost because of his policies. I don't think so. You know why? Because when I went down to the election thing at Kent Road, I asked a bunch of the Liberal people, I said, tell me the, the five, five policies that I should be voting on, ScoMo. And they could only tell me two. That not even the people at the polling thing could name five policies. The average punter like me, I didn't know any of them. The thing, I think ScoMo didn't get in because we didn't like his character a lot of the time that he made excuses all the time, that so many of us didn't like that he was on holidays when the bushfires raged. And we decided that we don't want a man like that leading our country. Whether that's fair or not, I think that's what we did. And yet when it comes to church, we're not that discerning. We don't ask those questions. And yet the Bible says that we should. Why, why are these two things, wisdom and full of the Spirit, intensely spiritual. It is because leadership in the church is not about business smarts, it is about spirituality. And, and what happens in a church, the problems in a church are not primarily how we're going to organise things. The, prob the problems in the church are usually about spiritual warfare. And so we need spiritually discerning people leading our church. Flip over to Acts 20 with me for a second. Acts 20. Paul, uh, we're going to meet him in a few, few weeks when we look at, look at his conversion. But Paul has pre, uh, planted a church at Ephesus. And he says, and he's going away from Ephesus, he loves the people at Ephesus, and he gives them a speech as he's going to go. And this speech that we've got is probably the cliff notes. It's probably a summary. It's not the whole thing. Paul was, um, Paul was a guy who would preach for a long time so much that people would fall asleep, fall out of a, a window and die. So we've got a summary here, and I'm thankful that we've got a summary. 
But have a look. He, here's the last things that he says to them, or some of the last things. Have a look at verse 28 and see what's not there. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He is saying, if Paul was, was going to address our leadership team, one of the things he would be saying is, you need to be a shepherd. And a shepherd is someone who defends the sheep. Why? Because there's wolves. There are wolves out there who are going to hurt people, hurt the church, and distort the truth. And, and, and here's the problem. I, I think I've met a bunch of wolves in my time. And not once did they rock up at church and go, hey, hands, uh, I'm new at church and I'm a wolf. None of them did. None of them did. They always seemed like beautiful, lovely people, or generally, beautiful, lovely people. And yet, we need leadership who is discerning and wise to be able to say, we need to deal with wolves well or people and churches get hurt and, and fraternity. And I know this because I have not dealt in the past with wolves well. I, I planted a church in Newtown, and I'm really embarrassed to share this, but I think it's really important. Um, we, we had a guy on our, and on, on our team that planted the church, and he... Within, within six months, I knew he was coming against me, attacking me, and in his Bible study, he was arguing against some of the things that we were saying. And so what I did was, uh, I remember re re reading, the, reading the Bible and reading Matthew 18 and thinking, he's in sin, and I talked with him, I said, you've got to stop, and he said, oh, okay, and he would keep going. And I read Matthew 18, which says, you know, show a brother his sin and go through this process. But in the end, if he doesn't, you've got you've to ask him to leave. And I can remember going, oh, that sounds really harsh. And so I'll work with him. I disobeyed Jesus. I went with myself over Jesus, which is really dumb. And so I met with him every week and we tried to work out our issues and it just went on and on and on. And in the end, about two years after the church started, he left. And then what happened was a marriage broke down and I started talking with, 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 the, with the husband. And this guy, who I should have asked to leave, was leading this, these people in their Bible study. And he was telling them, oh, you guys shouldn't have got married, you probably should get divorced, blah, 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 because you've got all these issues and you won't be able to get over them and so the wife left I heard how he was going around to people and saying yeah the Bible says that but does it really say that because I'm, I'm reading these things and, and contradicting and people fell away because of that and people were people were hurt as, you were, as people would say, no, you're wrong, and they would argue back. And he would tell them, don't go and talk to hands, let's just keep, keep this internal. 
Who's responsible for that? Of course it's him, but I am too. People from my previous church, if they don't repent, are going to hell for eternity because I did not have the courage to talk to this wolf and say, no more, you've got to leave. And you don't want that weighing on you. You don't want that weighing on you. A marriage broke down because I didn't say, enough, go. You don't want that weighing on you. You don't want that weighing on you. One of the things you've got to ask, if, 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 you, are, if you are getting a person on the leadership team, will they actually, at great cost to themselves, deal with wolves well? Will they do that? I bring that up because I think as a church, like so many churches, we need to be better in this area. We don't deal with conflict well at this church. We kind of push it to one side and kind of move on. And yet, we need to be like the apostles who in Acts chapter 6, when there was a problem, they dealt, they died into it and figured out a solution. See, leadership in the church is intensely spiritual. You need courage. Now, I am not saying we need a bunch of leaders who love conflict. That's not what I'm saying. If you love conflict, don't go into leadership because you're going to hurt people too. We need people who will go into biblical conflict when it's really important. And I think as a growing church, Satan is going to throw conflict and wolves our way. And so we need to be people who vote in the right people who are going to actually deal with conflict well and deal with wolves well. So who are you going to vote on for leadership team? How are you going to think about it? Are you going to just vote this person on because they're a nice person? Are you going to just vote this person on because, well, you know, someone needs to represent my crew? Or are you going to do what the Bible says and really think about it? See, what we see in Acts chapter 6 is they, they got the right people in the right positions. They created the structures and systems of the church. And let's see what is the result of all this, the result of the solution to their problem of growth. Have a look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the way. Priests who were against Jesus, uh, they didn't think he was the Messiah, and they became. So they do all this work. They, they appoint the right people. They put the structures and systems in place. And God blesses that. Now, I'm not saying that if you do all that work, God will always bless. I'm not saying that. But I, what I am saying is this, that when we work together as a church well, that more evangelism will be done, more people will be cared for, more people will grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus. And we pray that God would bless that work. We do the work, God gives the results, but we've got to do the work well. And what that means, I think, is that we want to see a flood of people become Christians. So we do all this for that. Why? Why? Because of the reality of hell. I am um, 
I saw some people I know from Kent Road down, down at the voting thing, and we had a, had a joke about things. And as I was walking back up from, from voting, I was thinking about this sermon. And I was thinking about my friends who, if Jesus came back right now, would be on the wrong side of history with Jesus. And I started getting tears in my eyes because I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want your friends and family who you love to go to hell. I don't want the people of Ride to go to hell. We've got to be a church that is effective, as effective as we can, so that God may bless our work and see a flood of people become Christians and not a flood of people go to hell. And what that means is, yes, we've got to work, the leash has got to work out how to do things, but that means everyone's got to be involved. That everyone who calls themselves a member of this church is doing ministry, is loving people and caring for people. That means there's going to be changes that are going to be uncomfortable, but we would rather be uncomfortable in our church than people be un- uncomfortable in hell for eternity. That means there is going to be Everyone has to be on deck. Now, when I was at the conference, I, I, I heard an analogy which I think works. He said that a lot of people come to church thinking that it's going to be a cruise ship. On a cruise ship, you, you, you lay down on your banana chair and you play shuffleboard. I don't, I've never been on a cruise, but maybe you can tell me. Right? And I'm not against cruises. I'm just saying that a lot of people think that church is a cruise ship. And he goes, no, no, no. It's actually far more like a rescue boat that everyone's involved, that we're doing everything we can to rescue as many people as possible. That's our church. We're a rescue boat, not a cruise liner. So if you're thinking uh, you brought your comfy chair that you're going to just sit on, please throw it overboard because we are on a mission to see a flood of people become Christians. Can you see why leadership is so important? Can you see why the gospel and our urgency is so, so, so important. Can you see why we're doing all the things that, we want, that we're seeing, that we're doing? Why? Because we want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus and escape the reality of hell. That's why we think about leadership in the church. That's why we think about how we do things and the structures and the systems. Not only just because the, the Bible, I think, shows the early church doing it. It's because we want to see people come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, we, we are desperate to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. I pray that we would be people who think very well about the leaders we put in place. We think very carefully about the systems and structures we put in place. Lord, help us to put the eternal fate of others outside the church ahead of our own comfort. Lord, help us to be a church which organizes well, does things well, so people are cared for, people uh, come to know Jesus more and grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus, but people are one from hell through the Lord Jesus. Lord, as wolves are going to come, we pray that, that your, the leaders of this church, the leadership team, would, would love your church here by dealing with wolves well. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would give your Holy Spirit more and more to the leadership team and to Tim and to I so that we will be the leaders who protect your loving people here to lead them well, to care for them. Lord, we pray that you would work amongst us for your glory. Amen.